TFM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp Five, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as he always is, is my esteemed co-host Matthew Rushing. And Matthew, I'm glad you took my advice. I told you that you'd look good in some triaxian silk, and that's quite an outfit you're wearing today. Well, I, uh, you know, I do my best, Chris. You know, you you got to look nice sometimes, and it just seemed like this was the the perfect day for it. Oh, well, definitely, because anytime I get fashion advice from an alien, I feel like my day's been made. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, today we're going to talk about the episode Oasis as we continue our 20th anniversary Enterprise rewatch. And if you need a refresher for the story, here it is. In need of supplies, Archer follows a tip from an alien and finds an abandoned ship that appears to have crashed on the surface of a planet. Rumor is, the ship is haunted, and the Enterprise crew soon finds out why. When more and more things don't add up, suspicions grow over how the chief engineer, Ezra, his daughter, Leanna, and their crew have stayed alive on a derelict ship for three years. Only it has really been 22 years and all but the father and the daughter are made of light. There's a lot of material here for Travis to work with as he crafts his next ghost story, Matthew. So let's just go on down to that miniature Imperial Star Destroyer that they spotted on the planet. Did you <laughs> notice how much that thing looks like a Star Destroyer from orbit? Yeah, it does really kind of look like um, some of the ships, especially that you've seen in like... Uh, there's the Mandalorian. Um, they use them in Star Wars Rebels a lot to those type of Star Destroyers um, in, in the smaller uh, ships. I and I can't remember. I'm, I'm really bad with ship designations in, in Star Wars other than like Star Destroyer. But yeah, they, mm. they look kind of like those type of cruisers that the, the Empire used. And so absolutely, I 100% agree with you. Yeah, it was not <laughs> the most... Um, unique star ship design right. so basic kind of triangular type thing yeah that just stood out for me but of course when they actually go down to the ship we quickly realize that it's not really that big mm-hmm. and uh and then it's fine and then when they go inside it's like i don't know it kind of reminded me of Kess's hydroponics bay <laughs> yeah. on voyager a little bit it did very much look like that set <laughs> yeah, I did. And the fact that Leanna and Kess look a little bit similar mm-hmm. uh, reinforced that feeling. But anyway, th- this episode, one thing that you often hear fans say about it is that I loved this story the first time I saw it when it was called Shadowplay on DS9. And I personally don't like saying things quite that directly, but it is very true that this story is quite similar to Shadow Play. And I think the fact that we have Rene Abergenois on here reinforces that feeling. And there's an interesting behind the scenes story to this in that when they were filming it, Rene actually pointed out to Scott Bakula that, hey, you know, 
we did this very similar story on Deep Space Nine. And I've also heard that like Scott thought it was really unique. I don't know if that's true. That's something that I've read here and there before. But either way, even uh, Rene himself obviously knew that he was playing in a story that was quite like one that he had had a, a, a chief role in previously. What did you think about the similarities? Yeah, I mean, obviously, they're very similar stories. And um, I think it doesn't help that you have a character that was in Shadow Play that's a, so in this one. So, I mean, all of that doesn't really help. You know, I think that the most interesting thing about this is it's not a terrible story here, you know, and, and mainly because, again, you know, this is the crew of the Enterprise experiencing something that nobody else has ever experienced before. And I just think it's more the way that the story actually tips its hand too quickly because yeah. Trip says that, you know, um, some of these systems remind him what you saw in the Zerillion ship. And if you're paying attention, you're going to pick up very quickly what's going on and why mm-hmm. there's kind of this tension on this ship because it immediately connects you to, well, what did they have that nobody else did, which is, you know, holographic technology. And so I, I think that's the thing that really kind of bothered me about the episode. But, I mean, I still think that there's some interesting things to say here, right? I think there's yeah. still some interesting things that they're talking about. And 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 for these characters, again, I think it's a, an interesting dilemma to put them in as well. Yeah, I think that's true if you really start to think about the situation that is going on, especially for Liana. Like you said, it is pretty easy to figure out what's going on, even if you haven't seen Shadowplay if you're a Star Trek fan, because you're very accustomed to the holodeck, you're very accustomed to hollow emitters. Holograms were a big part of Voyager, of course, with the Doctor. And as soon as they go in, even if T'Pol had not mentioned that, hey, you know, these look like optronic emitters or technology, and Trip had not said, that, yeah, I've seen something like this before on the Zerillion ship. Just visually looking at it as a Star Trek fan, you kind of realize, ah, yeah, this looks like some kind of holographic thing going on here, which would explain why they seem like ghosts to people because you don't get any life signs Mm -hmm. when you scan. So, But I've also heard people say that they like the fact that the episode tips its hand early because instead of making it a rather obvious mystery, uh, a mystery with an obvious solution. They allow the latter part of the episode to get into the more interesting part, the dialogue between Ezreal and Archer, and sort of a resolution of, is what's going on good Mm -hmm. for Liana or not good for Liana? And if they hadn't tipped their hand early, and we found out at the end that these are holograms, there would have been no opportunity to really delve into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I mean, I guess it really is one of those things like, I just wish they kind of hadn't said that. Now, at the same time, when you think about it logically, 
it does make sense that Trip would mention this because it is a really important yeah, um, aspect absolutely. to the story for them. And again, it's a connection of these explorers, you know, and what they are learning as they go. And I think all of that is really cool. And, you know, I, I like that. I think more than anything, it's just really kind of the, the f- for us as fans with us kind of having, if we're really paying attention, we are going to notice that about the story. But when it comes to the actual characters and, you know, what they're doing and what they're experiencing, it is absolutely understandable that they would, of course, mention this because it it's a part of them trying to figure out what's going on. Right. Yeah, that's that dilemma between in-universe and mm-hmm. yeah. fan perception, right? Yep. Which we've talked about recently, I believe here on Warp 5. We talked about that. So, yeah, this theme, again, it's similar to Shadowplay. I also noticed that Discovery lifted the same concept in Season 3 with Sukal and the fact that his mother left him in the care of holograms. And that's sort of what Ezra is doing here, is leaving his daughter in the care of holograms. Not completely in the care, but I guess it is very similar. I mean, her mother is now a hologram. And is that a good thing for her or not? I think maybe we can discuss that within the context of how the crew reacts and their decision to help or not help or or maybe try to force a change. It stood out to me that Trip in particular really felt like he knew what was best for Liana. He was mm-hmm. very unhappy with the situation that he found her in. And uh, spoiler alert, but this is a rewatch show, so hopefully you've seen everything. We see this come around again in the episode Cogenitor in his reactions to a situation. And it's one of those things that this time going through with a rewatch, it stood out to me in retrospect, you know, knowing what happens later on in the series. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I noticed that in the writing, it's like, oh, you know, they've really established this characteristic of Trip as a character, maybe a little bit earlier than I had previously thought about. But what did you think about Trip's reaction and this idea of, him coming in as an outsider, looking at a situation where these people have established this way of life for themselves, and it seems to be working for them up until now, and should he be coming in as an outsider and trying to change that with mm-hmm. relatively little information? I mean, I think it is a good question, but I think, you know, Trip um, can immediately see where this leads right like and i think he makes an excellent point of you know what happens when you die and she's not really going to have a full life she'll never have the opportunity to have a child if she wanted you know she'll never have the opportunity to actually experience anything that is truly real in the sense of that that physical uh, connection like our our and i think when we think about this, you know, 
Trip is speaking to the fact that, you know, life is more than just the mind, like we're the mind, body, soul connection type of idea. And so what we're getting here is something that isn't completely real because there is that actual physical nature that is missing from everybody that she interacts with except her father. And mm-hmm. in the end, I mean, she is living a lie. You know, and and this is a lie. And so I think, to me, I didn't take it so much as Trip challenging their way of life in the same way of Cogenitor, where it truly is like a biological reality of the way of life that they have, right? Mm-hmm. But it is still also about the mistreatment of people in their society. So it's, it's a much more complicated question. Here, I mean, it truly does just come down to that she says it. Have you ever had a lie that you've told yourself so many times that you begin to believe that it's true? And I think the the idea of, and, and this is probably even more the case now than it is then, but the idea of reality distortion and telling yourself a lie so many times you begin to believe it, I think that's the thing I came away with the most. And, you know, her father does realize that because he's actually gotten comfortable in the lie because mm-hmm. these are the people that he knew, right? These are the, the, it is almost like having them back. And yet, right. That's not the same for his daughter, right? And he does realize that he is taking something away from her by not allowing her to experience new relationships and all of those type of things the same way he got to. So, you know, I I did think that uh I do think that this is is much more in, in along those lines than trip kind of necessarily being judgmental. And you know, I I also don't know if it's uh, without them being able to offer that perspective to him as a mm-hmm. as a, as another person i mean this is the thing right like he doesn't have these thoughts unless somebody comes in and challenges him a little bit right and and so i don't see it as them being disrespectful or anything like that they're just trying to say hey you know who knows when other people are going to come around again and maybe this never happens and maybe both you and your daughter die here without the chance of ever making another choice so mm-hmm. to me it's like we have to be able to dialogue with one another about our lives and about the world and all those things without just being like, oh, well, that offends me and I don't want to hear it. So you just shut people down. Right. Like, like that's yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of what this episode I think actually shows is that the importance of being challenged, having our way of life challenged, having our thought process challenged because you're not always going to be right. <laughs> right. Yeah, it it helped me that in the end, Ezreal comes to Archer and asks for help and realizes that he should give his daughter a richer life than living in this oasis that he's created for her. If he had not done that and they had somehow, I don't know how they would have done it, but if they had repaired the ship and kind of forced them to to leave, or if they had taken Liana from him and taken her somewhere else themselves, then I would have had a bit more of a problem with it. it it's a difficult 
question. I I think all your points are great ones. And sometimes in Star Trek, and this is a, a moment where maybe this story has a TOS feeling to it in that Star Trek, often in the past, TOS, TNG would go in and tell an alien culture that this is how you should do things because this is the right way to do it and the way that you're doing it is wrong and so you need to change. And part of this episode felt that way to me in the reactions, but in the end, it it's a much more personal thing here. And as a father, I can see how Ezra came to the realization that the situation that he had put his daughter in was not the best one for her, and then he decided to change it. So in the end, it, it played out in a positive way for me as well. But I think it does ask interesting questions about communication, dialogue, cross-cultural understanding, respecting the choices of others, and such. And and those are things I don't always remember about this episode until I rewatch it, and then I get to that dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think there's there's always going to be that desire, and and it should be a desire for us to you know respect others or whatever. But we also have to be able to have conversations where we also respectfully disagree. Right. And, right. you know, yeah. I, I'm I'm a believer in that, you know, not all things can be true because that's not what the word means. So um, there yeah. are going to be things that are true and then there will be things that will be untrue and helping each other figure that out is really important. And that's where dialogue comes in. That's why it's so important for us to, like, not shut each other down, but have these conversations together. And literally what they are living in is untrue. It's just mm-hmm. an illusion. You know, this this episode is probably should have been better named like almost and it problem is, is give us away. But, you know, like illusion, because that's that's really what they're living in is, is, a, is a false reality. And so, yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah, that I, would have been a, a yeah. great name for the episode, although again, <laughs> then it would have given away the whole thing from. Yeah. Before, yeah, exactly, exactly. Watching. As soon as the title came on screen, <laughs> or Mirage like, might have been a better, um, might have been an interesting title too. So, but yeah, yeah, maybe it would have been. So, one thing just to clarify: so Liana's understanding of the environment that she's living in. The ship crashed when she was very young. Her father, being an engineer, recreated the crew. He says first her mother, and then he recreated the others. How aware is Liana of the fact that she's living among holograms? I mean, at least from my understanding of the episode, she got what was going on. And that's why, I, you know, her dad was so afraid that he, she was going to tell that. And, and you mm-hmm. know, I think it for her... She doesn't know what she's missing until she's faced with what she's missing, right? Which right. is the the ability to connect with another person that is actually real and and especially 
you know, with Trip, who is of the opposite sex, which, I mean, that has whole other connotations to it about the development of a person and the ability to, you know, have romantic relationships and and partner relationships that last a lifetime. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think that's kind of the the beauty of the story here and the thing that probably works the, the best is the relationship between Trip and Liana because the actors have great chemistry together and it's very natural. And and again, I think, you know, Trip is worried about whether or not people think he's not being a gentleman, but really he is just being a complete gentleman and, and being very caring towards this person. And I think there is kind of like this, I, I don't know, I don't want to say big brotherly or, you know, but there is this worry about what's, what is best for this person. Like he truly does care about what's best for people. And, th- and that comes out in this episode, I think really well. And it's just something that I feel like comes very naturally to Connor Trenier as an actor yeah. and it just yeah. kind of exudes from him. And, and I think that's also what helps the episode feel like, yes, even though I have seen this before, it, it, it works better than it should because mm-hmm. of the performances that we get. Yeah. Yeah, there is sort of a big brother uh, caring nature to it. Not big brother as in <laughs> Orwell, but that like caring nature yeah. comes through. Of course, T'Pol needles him about, yeah, here you go again. You know, you meet an alien girl and mm-hmm. it really feels like they're writing jealousy into T'Pol at this point. Mm. with regard to trip yeah i don't know if that's really the case but it starts to come across that way i can't tell if she's if she's picking on him if she's being serious if she's feeling jealous this you could read it in all Mm -hmm. those ways you know but this thing keeps coming up yeah with her with regard to trip and archer well, and I, I mean, I think that's a good point is that there is this underlying current that just kind of continues to build with them as characters. You know, we already know that they have a closer relationship specifically because Trip does know some very personal things about her. And mm-hmm. I think the last episode and this episode have both kind of showed that T'Pol is just becoming more comfortable in her re- relationships with these human beings and in in some ways, I think even just with the way that she responds in slightly more human ways than she has before, they are influencing her. Mm-hmm. I think that's a nuance in the writing as well as the acting with T'Pol that goes unnoticed sometimes. Yeah. How she yep. just very gradually becomes more human it's not so much like Mm -hmm. uh, we're gonna write her and make her more human it's just like little bit by bit yeah no you're 100 percent right i think it in in again that comes down to jolene's performance and i think you are 100 percent right and people not really giving her her due because this playing vulcans in the first place is difficult yeah but playing them with, I think, the the type of nuance that we do get from her as we move forward in her story, I think is really important. And so um, and it, it's fun to watch. And, and I think part of that is it's fun to watch because we do know where these characters are going. But yeah, I, I just 
I really enjoy it. You know, and it's one of the things I think I enjoy about enterprise in general is just that I think this cast might be one of the most likable because all the people just seem so wonderfully easygoing and genuine. I love that scene where Trip, where they're walking, you know, to the turbo lift and he's like, let's go, Travis, you're driving. You know, like yeah. it's there's there is I mean, you know, it just works. So um, I think it's great. I, I, I just. Yeah. And uh, so I give high marks to everybody on this this episode with with their acting. And even though this might not be my favorite episode of the season, I still think there's good things about it. Yeah, I would agree. Rewinding, you mentioned how Liana doesn't know what she's missing until she's exposed to it. It was interesting that they chose to have her eat vanilla ice cream. You pick the most basic flavor of ice cream Mm -hmm. and she's incredibly impressed by this. And then Tripp tells her, yeah, there's hundreds of other flavors. So... Not only does she not know what she's missing, but when she's exposed to the most basic of something, vanilla ice cream, already that's like a revelation to her. Just the choice of that, you know, she didn't Mm -hmm. have a, she didn't have one of Troy's chocolate sundaes or something. It was just the most basic thing possible. Yeah. Well, and then I love that, you know, she asks about the, uh, the idea of like a rocky road, you know, what does that mean? You know, and uh, Tripp's (laughs) trying to explain to her, well, um, I think they call it because it has nuts in it. Like, you know, you, you, we don't really think about those <laughs> right. things. So I, I just, right. I think right. the whole, um, the whole part of their relationship of her kind of being able to come out of her shell and kind of understand that, yes, this is like she knew intellectually that it's a larger world out there. Yeah. What she didn't know is what it would be like to begin to experience that for herself and in some ways i mean this episode when you think about it kind of feels like the idea almost of the matrix in the sense that she knows that she actually knows she's in a simulation but she doesn't understand what that truly means until she's confronted with the reality of the fact that her simulation is so limited and its ability to let her experience a full life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when when I was thinking about does she know or not know, I'm thinking like over the course of her life. Like at what point did she come to understand the situation? And, I mean, that's a good question of when her dad actually told her. <laughs> yeah. Or if he told her or if she figured it out or... She figured it out and then later he revealed it to her. You know, it's it's not really part of the episode. You know, cl- clearly in the episode, she knows what's going on because she saves everybody by pulling the, mm-hmm. the things out and, and getting rid of the holograms that were attacking. But, but I'm just thinking if she was, if she was young, if she, a very small kid when the crash happened... And if if they've been there for 22 years, but she looks like she's early to mid-20s character supposed to be, mm-hmm. so she'd be very small. You know, at what point did she find out? And you talked earlier about if you tell yourself a lie enough times, you come to believe it's reality. 
And for her, maybe she knows that she's living with holograms. She knows it's a simulation, but in her mind, it's not. It's become real. She's accepted this as the real world, which I think would probably be a natural thing for you to do because Mm -hmm. you, if that's all that you've known and it's your everyday reality after that long, it probably would be, which mm-hmm. again goes back to your Matrix reference, right? Most of the people in the Matrix have no idea that they're in a simulation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, th- I think that's the thing here that I, I'm sure pushes it over the edge for her father to make the decision that he does, right? Which is to make the choice to leave and to mm-hmm. go back to their home world because. If it was him, he would just live out his life in this way and it would be fine. But he knows for her this is not what's best for her. And he's confronted finally with the fact that the illusion is not reality. And so and and she deserves a life lived in reality. And and she spent most of her life over twenty years, right? Like I don't know. I, I'm just really struck by obviously this would be a difficult decision to make, but I don't think her father really had a choice in the end if he's really thinking about what's best for his daughter. Yeah. After the encounter with the Enterprise crew, had he decided to continue the charade, I think it would have weighed on him very heavily. Mm-hmm. And if he turned down assistance to repair the ship, then it would have really weighed on him, but he would have had no way to resolve the situation. Mm-hmm. So he kind of yeah. had to make the decision. I, I think as a parent, my feeling is, yeah, I would have to make that decision in that situation. All right. Well, anything else about the story that you want to mention in terms of Anything else that we see, any of the other characters, Travis mm-hmm. and his love of ghost stories. I just picture him <laughs> like, you know, using the, this to create a great story that he will one day tell alongside a campfire. Maybe alongside a campfire where they're also roasting marshmallows and Trip finally figures out what those things are all about. Because when Trip mentioned marshmallows, I had a flashback to Star Trek V mm-hmm. and the marshmallow yep. scene. <laughs> You know, I I thought what was really interesting to hear is the fact that, you know, they are on this planet, which is seems like a nice planet. They are confined. They are confining themselves to this ship because the holograms can't leave. And so they have the ability to actually experience some life beyond this. And yet you're willingly confining yourself to this this tiny little place. And so I just think to me that's 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 a interesting choice to kind of think about um willing confinement uh and yet and I'm grateful that they make the decision to break out of that because yeah I can't imagine, you know, I guess we can all imagine after COVID and lockdowns and everything being stuck inside the four walls of our houses for so many and and just I but I can't imagine doing that for like more than 20 years. Right. Unless you don't realize that there's any other alternative. That's that's the twist to the story, right? That for her even if she knows 
that she's living in this imaginary world. She doesn't know what's beyond the walls. Sure, sure. That, yeah. that does change the perception a bit. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've covered all the, the key points that I want to talk about in this episode. So any final thoughts, ratings? I did want to point out, it's interesting that Star Trek Magazine, when they did their ultimate rankings, they gave this episode three out of five. And I can understand that because as we're discussing, even though it does feel like a rehash of Shadowplay and other stories that we've seen in Star Trek, and even beyond that, you know, things like Forbidden Planet, The Tempest, that, this kind of theme is is nothing new. The overall story actually works out pretty well, and it does raise questions, makes you think, which is what Star Trek is supposed to do. But Brandon Braga on the Blu-rays and those extras, he said it's a terrible episode. Of course, he's also one of the writers of the stories. Maybe he's just being hard on himself. But anyway, what are your last thoughts on your rating? I mean, this is tough because, you know, as we've been talking about it, um, you know, I, I don't, and I, I didn't hate rewatching it or anything. I just think it's an episode, right? And and so for me, I would say it's probably two and a half out of five. You know, I think it's half a good episode because there are some interesting ideas, even though the story has been done before in Star Trek. And yet there's not anything else to make it above average, you know, like it's just average Star Trek episode. So, you know, we have some great acting and some nice character moments here and there but overall it's an episode <laughs> yeah it's an episode it's filling out the season right mm -hmm. yep yeah i'm there with you it's a fine episode i think that had we not seen this type of story in shadow play not so long before i mean shadow play season two of ds9 so it actually was what is about eight years in between these episodes, but those of us who love DS9 and watch it over and over, of course, it felt quite familiar. But maybe it would have had a bit more impact if it didn't seem so familiar. But I think if you if you set that aside and you just watch the story for what it is, and you realize that the point of the story is not the reveal that these people are holograms. The point of the story is, is Ezreal doing the right thing as a father to give his daughter a life? He feels guilt mm -hmm. of the crash. He's trying to do what's best for her. He thinks that he is, but is that really true? And that's the question of the episode. So if you look at it that way, I think it's a lot better than people tend to think. But yeah, it's still just an episode. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to give it five bowls of vanilla ice cream. Mm -hmm. Well, and one thing I do just have to say, I think it's it's great that you mentioned that. The idea that he's doing what's best for him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the the question you kind of have to come to in, in this type of thing as well is like, okay, well, what's best for me might not be best for others involved. And, you know, so the fact that he can make that distinction between what's ultimately best for everyone is a good thing. And that's what real love is. Like, we're not just thinking about yourself. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, before we jump into the closing, Matthew, I have one task for you as a fellow Ted Lasso fan. 
because since we've been talking about shadow play, I went back and watched shadow play yesterday just to refresh my memory. And it struck me as Odo has so much interaction with this little girl in shadow play. Odo and Roy Kent have very similar demeanors when they're talking to small <laughs> children. So you need to go back and watch Shadow Play and imagine if they digitally replaced Odo with Roy Kent and how that episode would Oh my would gosh. Work. Well, it would be a lot more F-words, um, which would be <laughs> that's hilarious. The difference. Yes, <laughs> but that's, that's so funny. I'm imagining that now. That's great. Yeah, it's wonderful. All right. Well, we would love to hear your thoughts on Oasis. If you'd like to share those with us, there are many ways to do that. You can go to Facebook and join the Babel Conference. That's our closed listeners group. If you're not yet a member, it is a closed group. So please be sure to answer the questions and agree to the rules of the forum so that I can let you in. And if you want to find it, you're not yet a member, just search B-A-B-E-L on Facebook and it should come up. If not, just type the whole name, the Babel Conference. You can also send us an email if you would like. Go to our website, trek.fm slash contact. Use the form there. Choose to send to a show. Choose Warp 5, and that'll come to Matthew and me by email. And of course, you can find us everywhere on social media, Twitter, Instagram, everywhere, under the username trekfm. Now, Matthew, when you're not trying to figure out if you're living in a simulation, where can people find you? Well, uh, you could find me all over the place under the name MattRushing02, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero, all those type of places. Of course, here on the network with the 602 Club, which is our whole other side of the network, not devoted to Star Trek, but with every other fan that we love. Of course, there's some bonus shows in that same feed as well that you could find. And uh, Literary Treks, as well as The Orb. Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And then, of course, Chris, you and I talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine on The Orb, which is a lot of fun. And then over on the Nerd Party Network, I've got a completed show I did called Outpost with Drea Kaufman, where we talk about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And then John Mills and I are over there talking about Star Wars each and every week on aggressive negotiations but chris when you're not trying to get yourself some resequenced ice cream where can people find you i love that stuff and ben and jerry's they make the best resequenced ice cream you can find me here on the network of course doing the orb which you mentioned talking deep space nine with you popping in on literary treks from time to time larry nemechek and i do the ready room now and then there's Interphase, and of course, I'm on many, many episodes in the back catalog over the, what is it now, 11, 12 years we've been doing this network. So if you'd like to hear my thoughts on a wide range of Star Trek, just dig into the back catalog and you'll find me talking about all sorts of things. And then I'm working on behind the scenes things for the network as well, getting ready to roll some stuff out soon. And if you want to talk to me about Star Trek or Japan or anything, you can find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. That's my username everywhere in social media, but Twitter is where I'm most active. And I'd love to hear from you there. And also, if you would like to help us keep all of this going, it takes a great deal of money to operate the network. And it's been a rough couple of years here through the pandemic. We could really use your support to get everything back on its feet. You can support us through Patreon. If you'd like to find out how to become involved in the network, just go to patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com 
slash Trek FM to find out how. And I'd like to send a huge thank you to everyone who's supporting us right now. We could not do this without you. So thank you very, very much for your support. Well, Matthew, I'm going to go and break out my Quantum Leap box sets because we're getting the band back together next week as we talk about Detained. Well, Chris, uh, that sounds great to me. So let's go. 